0: circumstances and we are realign our mindset to come under your good governance we declare goodness over one another where we're in places of blessing and we declare goodness over one another when we're in places of mourning that that never changes that reality of your goodness we pray uh, as Simon speaks now we receive Ministry of your goodness. We don't have to do the kingdom work. We get to, we get to do the kingdom work. That's the greatest privilege and invitation we will ever be given. We get to do this incredible work that lasts forever. This co-laboring work that bears fruit that is not a fiction that will stand. And we just say we say yes to this invitation, this privilege that we get to do this. Amen.
1: Great. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be here. We worked out Silas. I was last here in 2002, which that's a long time ago, isn't it? And uh, that was before up there was done. And uh, so I think when I last came it was I mean those were peak years of expecting to die I was in the most dangerous country in the world um, went out in 1998 my mum wrote me and sent me a newspaper cutting burundi was number one most dangerous country in the world i don't know if she's trying to encourage me or whatever but it was uh, those were crazy crazy days and i suppose it's nice to come back that is what 17 years later and uh, still be alive and and now be married and have three kids, and to have a few battle scars, wounds that uh, some might come out, some, some you can't see. A lot of our wounds you can't see. We're good at hiding them, aren't we? And um, but we're still in the fight. I'm still in the fight. Are you still in the fight? It's tough, isn't it? And there will be casualties. There are casualties. But this is worth everything. And I want to encourage you this morning that it is absolutely worth everything, no matter what you're going through. Um, so, just a bit more context. So I went out when, when I was uh, 25 years old. I'm 46 now. Um, spent 20 years in Burundi. Uh, and, and they were amazing years. Yeah, I mean, I'll, some of it will come through as I, as I share from Acts 8. So, if you want to turn to Acts 8, that's the passage we'll be looking at. And actually, only one verse. It's very short. Um, it's a sort of swing passage in Acts chapter 8. But, um, you know, lessons like, if you think you're going to die next week, you're not going to waste today, And you're going to invest in things that matter. And people matter. Stuff doesn't matter. And it's going to infuse you with a sense of urgency, and you can't kid yourself that you're living in peace because you're listening to bombs go off and driving along a road and 40 people get killed and you get through for whatever reason, not because you're any better. It's just there's mystery and ambiguity in faith, our journey, isn't there? And uh, bad things happen to good people, and some terrible people are incredibly, you know, it's just uh, the psalmist shouts out to God with that sort of of the irreconcilables it seems in the messiness of our life so I, as, I, as I shared with you this morning I'm just well aware that, you know I, I know I know probably about 20% of you guys here most of you I don't know but I, I know wherever you go you know it's an incredible privilege and heaviness that you feel at the front speaking to people because there's pain in the house there's stuff that there's dashed dreams we heard some 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 dreams that did happen we heard largely good stories with some acknowledgement of the messiness of life but yesterday I was at a talk. Um, and Birmingham, and a guy was sharing about you know losing losing a baby, and but as they were in the process of losing the baby, his prayer was, "Lord, you, if we, if the baby survives, you are good, and if the baby doesn't survive, you are still good." And and that's clinging on to God, isn't it? So if you're going through a hell of a time and it doesn't seem to be working out as you as you as you thought it would, as you hoped, you know, that's just reality of life. And 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 maybe because we're in a Western environment and we're in a con- culture which sort of Says that everything can work out well and should work out well, and it's like we've got a divine right to happiness and, and peace and prosperity and purpose and all those things. You know, brothers and sisters in Africa and, and across the world, they don't they have a different worldview. Well Life is beep, you know, it's challenging. Uh, and yet, God is still glorious and He's still faithful. And the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. That'd be one of my, you know, promises. One Thessalonians five twenty four. So yeah. So spent the time out there. Some of my, some of the people I care about have been killed. In the meantime, I haven't been killed. I, I, th- I thought I thought it would be. Um, I've been sh- royally shafted and let down in those last seventeen years by some people that I trusted completely. Um, I've been slandered and uh, maligned. I've had two years of chronic fatigue that was quite hard work. But actually, out of that two years of chronic fatigue came this book, which a number of you have. And so, one of my choices was, you know, that's this a daily shot in the arm to make good choices. But one of my choices in writing that book, I was, I was lying in bed. I could choose self-pity. I could choose to redeem this time, Lord. What, what, I don't know what's, you know, I'm not happy with this. I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to pray for healing. But you can still use my brokenness. And that has been used. And that's been massively used. Tens of thousands of copies and sold. If you want to get that afterwards, do grab that. Uh, choosing life. Um, so, uh, but but in the midst of uh, sort of some of the grim narrative I shared there, we've also seen probably two two hundred fifty thousand people come to Jesus. We've seen uh, witch doctors come to Jesus. We've seen demons cast out. We've seen cripples walk. We've seen psh, blind see. You know, and so there's everything in that mix, in the highs and the lows, and that's just that's journey with him. And and he has, as we're praying before the service, someone prayed in that uh, Hebrews, uh, sorry, Ephesians three to the God of the immeasurably more than all we could ask for or imagine. And as I look back on 20 years of ministry, he did do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. I mean, we built five schools. They're all the best school in the province because we believe in excellence in Jesus' name. One was the first accredited school for you, to get to universities and in America, We got Street Kids Project. We pioneered the first uh, AIDS Christian project in the country. We, we built three orphanages. And my opinion would be they'd be the best three orphanages in the country. That's, that's subjective and biased, of course. But uh, you know, the, the love in the house is amazing. And people being raised up, marching to the beat of a different drum. You know, the good thing about being in the long form, we have to be in it for the long haul is that you know you get to preach and come, i preached this one meeting this girl lady now came up to me and said do you remember me i said sorry i don't remember she said 15 years ago i was on one of your youth camps and now i'm a member of parliament serving jesus there I'm like come on lord because that's the long-term vision isn't it and as you speak like right now right now uh, you know what, what the seeds being sown and we're in it for the long haul but when i preach around schools in Burundi and i'm going back in a couple of weeks time it'd be like you know we don't have small dreams because in 10 years, 15 years, you might be a member of Parliament, and you might be a lawyer, or a teacher, or a nurse, or a doctor, or a you know, physician, whatever, you know, our dreams are here um, under God to shape and shake our nation, and we have seen the nation shaped and shaken, and do come tonight if you want to, as I was looking about city stuff, not that I feel like I've got silver bullet or answers more than anyone else, but coming from the outside, maybe some sort of fresh challenges on that one, but we... I don't know whether literally we were used to stop walking here in Britain. I don't know that because it's hard to quantify because war in the end didn't break out. But in 2015, we sort of uh, stuck our necks above the parapet as the church went to ground. We counted the cost, said we are ready to die for this message and it is worth living and dying for. And maybe I tell more of that story tonight, but it was, it was amazing um, to see how the Lord used us and... Yeah, Br- Brunei is, is in a hell of a mess. Um, and we're the hungriest country in the world, got the highest rate of malnutrition, the bottom three in terms of numbers uh, of poverty. <sighs> um, so it's tough, but the Lord is bringing many people to Himself, and it's in the darkest places that light shines brightest. Amen? And so I'm coming from a different context this morning, but I've recently landed back in. So two months ago, I moved with my family to Bath. And Bath and Burundi couldn't be much more different. And, uh, you know, so we've set up there, and I'm just trying to live passionate, radical lives, surrender there, different contexts, different challenges. So more aligned to maybe with, with with your lives there as I come back in. Um, so yeah, that's a bit on me. Now if you've got your bibles, so last week we heard uh, from Sarah and I, I listened to it on the web and you heard those great stories from her own journey in terms of the miraculous, you know, miracles of, of provision and and deliverance and healing and protection and and I hope you you know that was edifying listening to that. God is at work all the time over there and here. And uh, so I'm following on from that and we're now looking at a, a sort of sort of linchpin verse in the Acts narrative. And uh, it's only one verse, of the springboard already. So at the end of uh, Acts 6 and 7, it's uh, Stephen, he he shares his testimony, he gets stoned, and Saul is there giving his approval. And then verse 1, sort of 1b, if you like, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. that will do, I think, but it's uh, so. It's a pivotal verse. Why is it a pivotal verse? And we're looking at this through the frames of your three things, which is, you know, the the, the, the presence of God, the power and the purpose, the power of the Holy Spirit that we got, the presence of God meeting together and, and, and being sent out, and then the mission, the, the purpose. So those are your th- sort of three lenses. We're looking at those those through. But essentially, you know, in Acts one eight, the Holy Spirit came. Sorry, the promise came. Jesus, he said, that the Holy Spirit will come, you will receive the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes, and he will give you power, won't he? Power to testify. It's funny, I know that verse better in, in Kieran. Sounds better, doesn't it? You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this far, thus far, they're just being scattered, aren't they, to Judea and Samaria. So they, they're getting it. But, but do you see that they, they had that promise? And then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. You've got Pentecost. And then, and then there's a bit of persecution, a bit of trials. There's lots of uh, dynamic growth. And it's all happening. Acts 5, as we had last week, lots of miracles happening. But, but had they really got the promise and what the, what the command was and, and how, they, how far they were meant to go? No, they were, they were still in Jerusalem. So they were being obedient at one level to the kingdom, but they hadn't really got it yet. And that re- revelation came. At, in the end, the Holy Spirit, the sovereign will of God, was that they were they pushed out. They pushed out how, through persecution. It was persecution that God chose as the narrative to get them out of Jerusalem and to move beyond. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. And actually, in the end, it wasn't the superheroes of the faith. I mean, clearly, we, we know Paul, we know Peter, and they had a massive apostolic role. But it's the unknowns of Antioch that really... Pushed out to the frontiers, to the to the ends of the earth, and that's us. And, that, and it's reached us. We are kind of the ends of the earth. is the end of the earth from from their context. And the gospel have, has reached us, and, and is continuing uh, to you know, Ta all those people groups. Every people group must come into uh, contact with the gospel and must have the opportunity before Jesus is going to return. I was I was a couple of weeks ago. I was preaching in America, and and it was. This missions congress and it was it was very humbling to be with brothers and sisters who had seriously suffered for following jesus and that's not belittling if you've had any sort of coming to faith and your parents have rejected you or you know you lost your job out of integrity uh, of standing for righteousness in the workplace that's very real our sufferings doesn't belittle it to say that these guys who you know death threats and and you know all sorts of very humbling but it it was it was brilliant for me to sort of realize myself and you know how what is this worth you know, and we can get distracted by so many other things, and this is worth absolutely everything, and I, and I, I suspect those guys, uh, as they were pushed out, as they all fled, I mean, it wasn't everyone, was it, because the apostles uh, stayed in Jerusalem, and that, was, that wasn't disobedience, that was what they were meant to do, but people were then pushed out, they were pushed out, and we might have an idea that uh, Chris went that way, Alice went that way, Simon went this way, and it wasn't, that wasn't how it worked. There's a great book, if you're interested in, in looking at it, uh, by Rodney Stark, who is not don't think he's a professing follower of Christ, but he's a, he's, a, he's a sociologist. And he applies sociological theory to the study of the explosive growth of the, New Te- of the New Testament church. And he comes to the conclusion, because it took three centuries, mostly of persecution, that led to such explosive growth of the church, such that when Emperor Constantine proclaimed, declared a Christian empire, Um, and converted himself, well, was it genuine conversion, or was it political expediency? Because the Christians had won in a sense that they had so modeled kingdom values that he guesstimates through his, and it's a guesstimation, but, but he guesstimates that over half the Roman Empire were evangelical Christian. They, they, they weren't just talking good game. They weren't sort of just churchgoers or anything. It, it wasn't culture. It was conviction that led to getting out there, that led to when there were a number of plagues going on where literally people, family members were dumping their other family members on the streets so that the rest of the family wouldn't die. Christians went and were willing to nurture them and take care of them and, and, and die in the process most of them but that was the power of the witness it was so incarnational it was so costly and and so persecution under god's sovereignty has often been the vehicle of of the refining and purification of the church and i don't know what that looks like for us in the coming days but it's not something to be fearful of but it's, it's probably confusing and i suspect i'm sure they were breaking themselves you know when they when they were when they when they, when they fled they were completely out of control and as I say, it wasn't just you know, individuals, it was, it, was, um, it was us, we went as an oikos, an oikos, that Greek word for sort of extended household, so it was groups of 10 and 20, it was me and my household with my cousins and auntie living with us, and, and extended, you know, servants and that sort of stuff. We moved as groups of 15 or 20 or whatever in different directions, and that was God's chosen vehicle, historically, for the explosive growth of the church. So church, big church has a role, absolutely has a role, it's beautiful meeting together, isn't it? But actually, it's also... You know, it's life groups and not just nominal life groups. It's doing life together. And what does that look like for you guys here? So I'm I'm just going to, and these are regular themes that I come back to that I preach to myself all the time. Um, I'm just going to come back to imagining what it was like to be those guys being persecuted and being sent out. and, and, And the sort of building blocks upon which they had to choose to live their lives, if you like. And before I do that, just that, that, that form there. Wherever I go, I'm, I'm still alive, and my guys are still alive. Most of them are still alive. A few have been murdered. But um, we're mostly still alive because people pray for us. So you don't have to sit your name down. But if you sit your name down, there's a sheet down there. Did I go that to you? And one there. Can you grab that? Just pass it along. They ask me to get people to pray. So, so you know... It, it, for example, two months ago, we sent out 700 evangelists. They led 8,900 people to Jesus. That was two months. That was, that was our work. We've done that for the last 14 years. So you get to hear about, and I'll share more of that tonight, stunning stories of fruit of people being uh, cast, you know, delivered from demons and all that sort of stuff. And so please, don't feel you have to, but please sign up your email there, and uh, you'll get to hear and be part of of this move of God out there. So, And don't sign up if you're already, a number of you already get that stuff. But thank you, if you will pray for us. Beautiful. So, so these guys have been sent out, uh, or, or sent out, they've been told that you're going to receive, and the Holy Spirit has now come, and we've received him, maybe we sat, sat on the blessing for a few weeks, and we've seen some, and Peter's had a bit of a hard time over there, and maybe I'm going to suffer, I don't, I'm not going to choose to suffer, but, and then boom, it comes, and they're sent out, and it's confusing, I don't know where I'm going to go, and... I'd probably lost my job. You know, the job was back there in Jerusalem. And that's how how it felt. It would have been a time of great uncertainty. And so I'm going to come out with a number of of different choices, bedrocks of how we're going to choose to live our lives. Us in a very different context. But what did it look like for them? First of all, the the choice that you're going to have to make is are you going to choose to to insist on being in control or are you going to choose to to trust? So if you like, trust or, or clarity? What are you going to choose? How are you going to choose to live your life? trusting God, or insisting on clarity. And I know that I like to be in control of my life. I know that I like to know that there's enough money on the bank account for the end of the month to pay all the bills. I know that I want to be able to, prov- as a father, to provide everything for my kids. I, I know that I want to be, be, be just be safe. And those, those are legitimate concerns and desires to have. But if we are insisting in being in control at every level in our lives, and most of us are control freaks, uh, then, then we're not gonna, we might have a faith, but we're not going to live by faith. Do you see the difference? And there is a difference between having a faith. I'm guessing most of us here this morning, because otherwise you could be in bed enjoying a lion on Sunday morning. You've chosen, I th- suspect most of us do have a faith, or at least exploring faith, but, but having a faith and living by faith is, is, is very different. It was Hudson Taylor that said, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. If we are playing it safe at every level, and if you've got your ducks in a row, and you're, you know, then, then you, don't, you don't need to take any risks, you don't need to step out of your comfort zone, and so you, you might have a faith, and you might have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, and you know, take ticket to heaven, but it's so much more than that. So you can have a faith, but not live by faith. And so we're we going to choose clarity or, or trust. And these guys, I, I presume, they chose trust because things they didn't have the luxury of choosing clarity. Uh, there's a guy called uh, John Kavanagh. And he was a brilliant ethicist, and he went to Mother Teresa's house of the dying in Calcutta, and he was seeking clarity for the next chapter of his life. And I don't know whether it was a midlife crisis or, or whatever, but there he was. And on the first day. Mother Teresa came alongside him and said, as a newbie volunteer, can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, bring it on. You know, I've traveled thousands of miles for the great Mother Teresa to prophesy into my life and, uh, and speak truth. You know, yeah, this is what I've come for, 6,000 miles. Come on. Yeah, pray. Pray, Mother Teresa. Thank you. Pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of, her, of my life. And, and her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pr- pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you are holding onto and you need to let go of. He was like, what? I mean, you, the great mother Teresa, you look like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I've had is trust. And so I'll pray for you that you trust him. Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember when God called Abram? Genesis chapter 12, 1-3 says, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And he doesn't say go to Moreh or wherever. He says, go to the land I will show you. As Abram, and verse 4, so Abram left, as the Lord told him. He walked in obedience. And as he moved, then he was shown. And it was messy, wasn't it? And he screwed up, which is comforting. You know, he still you know, had to go off and rescue his nephew Lot. And he lied about the identity of his wife, Sarai. And, you know, there was, there was all sorts of mess, which all makes the Bible all the more compelling, doesn't it? Because it's not redacted, the screwed upness of our biblical heroes. It's like, I can relate to them because they didn't trust you the whole time and they messed up and they wavered through unbelief and that sort of stuff. But ultimately... He did believe God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we all look to to Abraham as the father of many nations. So go to land. I will show you. And and some of you, the Lord is saying, just trust me. And it's very unclear. And some of you, you've been a fog for several years even in obedience. And I want to encourage you, hang on in there. Hang on in there. He didn't say it was going to be easy, did he? And so some of us this morning, you know, I, I, I can get that. Some of us, we're just hanging in there by the skin of our teeth. God, you know, I, I look back sometimes and think, "Well, Lord, if You'd shown me everything twenty years ahead that I've been through, would I be up for it?" But He doesn't do that, does He? He says, "My grace is sufficient for you, day by day." And so, hang on in there if you're going through a rough time. And you know, we're on various stages of the, of the of the of the valley or on the mountaintop experience. You know, that's, that's, that's journey, and sometimes it's been a long, some of us have been a long time since we've been up there, if ever. But He. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so you just got to hang on in there. And these guys in Acts 8 and beyond are hanging on, hopefully, hanging on in there. They're choosing to embrace that, that ambiguity and that wrestling and that lack of clarity. They're choosing to trust. Now, I know that's a whole bunch of us. So may that minister to you, may that encourage you, if that's for you. And then I'm guessing as they went, you know, the next one to sort of building block would be building block of obedience. Because they, did Acts happen? Acts 8 happened because they were disobedient. They hadn't fully got it yet. And so God had to nudge them out or push them out through through persecution. They, they, were, they were sitting on the blessing in, in Jerusalem. And the promise was you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, what does obedience look like for, for you and for me? Are we walking in obedience? Obedience is annoying. Uh, it's it's painful. It's, it's, it's submitting our, our, myself, isn't it, to someone else's cool. Someone else is calling the shots on my life. Do I want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm the boss. And he um, was a great theologian Tozer. He said, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go, or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find out the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. And the next time it will move you less, and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Can any of you relate to that? You know, I've sometimes... All right, so some of you students here, I remember being at Loughborough, I was at Loughborough University, being sat there with my girlfriend and uh, hearing a, a talk on purity and like, no, that's, that's, I've hardened my heart to be taken out on that one. And, uh, you know, she didn't end up being my wife. So I, I, I was doing that with someone else's future wife, and I was someone else's future husband. God's not anti sex, is he? It's a beautiful, creative gift to be used in the right context. He said, just use in the right context. Trust me. Walk in obedience. That's costly. That's really costly for some of us think. What does that look like? Or finances. Or ethics in the workplace. Everyone else is doing it. I've got a friend right now who's on the edge. He's a, he is a, on paper a multimillionaire in the city, but he's about to go bankrupt. But I don't think he will. He's got a month. I think the law's going to bail him out. And because he's just got a massive, massive potential customer this week. I mean, it's always down to the wire with him. But he says, if I fail, all the companies in my line of work in the city will, will say, you cannot run a business honestly and succeed. And surely the Lord's got to bail him out. So could you lift up John? Uh, you know, let's, Father, right now, we pray for him and we pray for breakthrough in his business so that it will be a testimony to your glory that integrity is worth it. Amen. We agree. So, what, you know, all sorts of areas. What, what, how is the Lord speaking to you about obedience this morning? And have you hardened your heart in one area? Because it's cramping your style. How's the Holy Spirit talking right now? Next one. Um, another building block is, are we going to choose? I'm so preaching this to myself. Uh, those guys could have been uh, deeply negative and cynical and and pessimistic, and or they could choose to still believe and hope. So I'm going to say cynicism or... Or, or hope. Hope Chapel. The biggest battle I've had in my life in Burundi has been to hope or to cling to hope. You know, my narratives um, when I was last year in 2002 would have been, we're in a hell of a mess, The most dangerous country. Well, we're now the third most dangerous. So, that's progress, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Um, but you know, we were probably the second hungriest. We're now the hungriest. And under the narrative, as I came back year after year, it's like, God's doing incredible stuff and we're on the way up. And then 2015, (laughs) it kicks off again. And almost overnight, if not overnight, over two weeks, our country went back 20 years, 20 years of development, of free building, of brokenness of half a million people fleeing the country of traumatized children of Do we choose to hope? Well, it's costly. Much easier to be cynical. It's much easier to check out, to look after my own, to disengage, harden my heart. I who we choose to hope. And hope isn't ethereal, it's action. It's action. So you've got mainly two different groups. Essentially, you've got cynics and saints. Or the other people in the middle, they're living some delusional ground. And, and, uh, I think the cynics and the saints have got it right, maybe. But, it, but the only difference between the cynics and the saints, because the cynics can just say, I'm going to look after, button down the hatches and look after myself, just take care of this. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And I can bring him to my neighbor, to my colleague, to my daughter, my sister, my friend. And, and that's what he wants me to do. Not that I'm any better, I'm just better off.
0: Because I'm of in a relationship
1: with the King Kings and I'm plugged into the dynamism. you see You'll see power, dynamite. And so, the building block of my life is I'm not going to settle for the easy cop-out default of cynicism. I'm going to choose hope. And then the next one for these guys, I think um, quite logically, you know, they are, they are legging it because persecution. They are fleeing. They're fleeing to different places, and and uh, they live with a sense of great urgency. And, you know, I, I live with a sense of urgency uh, at Burundi because, because I did live, particularly 99 to 2003. Those were the Bumper years of, you know, ambushes on the roads and stuff. And I live with a sense of urgency because it was so urgent because, you know, and it wasn't sustainable, by the way. So we've got to live with a sense of urgency, but we've also got to live from a sense of rhythm. So, you know, I, for the first three years, I did live a bit like that, you know, so I to preach every day because I'm going to die next week. And it wasn't sustainable. It was fruitful. Um, but after three years, my my guys in England said you need to come back for you know just to decompress, and that was their wisdom just to to pre- preempt me from burning out. Um, but urgency is a good thing, and if you want to self diagnose where you are on that continuum of apathy and urgency, urgency here, passionate, you know, every day I want to be used, eyes out, you know, what are you saying, Holy Spirit, you know, and just here, you know, I I, I suspect. I suspect if we self-diagnose, you know, when's the last time you shared your faith? Do we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? So please don't feel guilty because that's just not very life-giving and empowering, is it? But I do feel convicted. When's the last time we shared our faith? Well, Lord, may this morning just move me along that continuum to a sense of urgency. But you see, you would if you thought, you know, like my friend who's a chaplain in the army. says, there, there are no atheists in war. You know, suddenly the chapels are full out in, you know. British soldiers in, in, in Syria right now. They're all going to church. Well, not all, but most. Because they know they might die on the next patrol. It heightens your sense of reality. And that's how we, we, we live. We live, lived in Burundi. And you know, I've, only, I've only been in Bristol two hours, but I've been here before, and I can see bombs falling all over Bristol. Apathy. Materialism relativism, comfort, whatever it is. And so we get taken out and we end up at this end of the continuum. These guys couldn't afford that. Either in Acts 8, no, I will stay in Jerusalem, I will recant. I'll stop it. Or if I'm willing to carry on subscribing to the Lordship of Christ, boom, I'm legging it, they're chasing me. (laughs) You know, I'm ready to die for this. I'm not going to recant. I'm still in there. Urgency. How are you doing on that one? And I I suspect they were probably fearful on one level, but, I mean, they just had the model of of Stephen, haven't they? Who actually, as he's being stoned, he's saying, bring it on, essentially, isn't he? Oh, Father, forgive them, you know, radiating Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, And so he wasn't fearful. But I just want to talk about that faith and fear dynamic in terms of how we live our lives, because that's another massive one. I think most Christians in England, they still live by fear rather than by faith. And we've got the choice of how we live, fear or faith. And I think in the immediate, as you're legging it, you're probably very fearful. But then, let's say you take a breather and say, all right, Lord. As my colleague, the guy I handed the ministry to, you know, start of his life was going through scorched earth. Mum's still bleeding down there, having just given birth to him. You know, Everyone being killed around them. With that. Of course, there's fear in the immediate. That's a, that's a natural reaction. But take stock. Okay, we're going to die. I'm ready. I'm ready. And this is worth living and dying for. And what's the worst that can happen to me? Within that bullet or that machete, boom, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Do you believe that? I mean, do we have that assurance? It's, it's kind of extreme, isn't it? But you know, that was tested for me. So I told you about you know the narrative improving, and then 2015 it kicked off. By this stage, I've got a wife, I've got kids. It doesn't actually change with the wife for me because when I p- proposed to her, I said, "Are you ready to be a young widow?" And she was like, "Yes, all right." So she signs up, and then and then we have three children, and the, pff, these precious little lives. And those are the parents. Oh my goodness, the extraordinary depth of God-given love you have for them. Um, going to get killed, Lord? Is Lizzie going to get raped? Is and counting count the gospel, I'm going to choose faith, not fear. And the best thing that I can model to my family, but to the community, is faith. We're all bricking ourselves on one level, but no. God, just so in control. And you didn't say it was going to be easy. And uh, if we die, then there's, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. It's going to be even better. And that becomes very liberating, genuinely liberating. And, um, and so thousand people praying. So if you've signed up on your email or if it hasn't got to you, please do sign up because you'll get to hear these stories and be part of our journey. And it's very exciting because God has intervened regularly. But, but um, um, I'm like, we're not leaving. We're, we're probably the, you know, the most, uh, sounds like I'm bragging, but you know, there's influential white people out there. And so if we leave, everyone's going to leave. You know, just from through longevity and what we're up to. And, and uh, so we're not leaving because we're brilliant, by the way. We've got brilliant with five of only ten white people, white Brillians in the world. You know, we, this is our nation. And, and Jesus didn't flee, did he? He, he was in God with flesh. He came down, left the cushiness of glory, the right hand of the Father, to engage in our mess. And so what does that look like for us? But for me, it's like we are not leaving. And then actually the Lord took that decision out of our hands because my five-year-old, Josiah, he swallowed some popcorn into his lung. So he went down the wrong tube and he's, he's breathing like that. And so, so he needed, as as it turned out, we got to the only US pediatrician left in the country, he needs to get on the next plane. He needs a bronchoscopy that can't be done in country. You know, little tubes going, it's very little, you know, with a camera on the end to pull this thing out. And so that, that was how, the, in the Lord's provision, he, he ordained that they left and I was able to stay. And. Uh, Thank you, Lord. And there's more to that story, and I'll tell more of it tonight, maybe. But uh, anyway, thousands of people praying around the world. He had to finish his course of antibiotics for the operation. On the day of his operation, <laughs> he coughed and out came this kernel. It's like, phew, what do you make of that? Just relating to that, that if it hadn't, or if he, you know, does, does, it, does it make God any less good? No. That, you know, in his mercy. And I wrestled with that. I wrestled with the fact that um, they went back and there was a pastor's house that was free in Southampton. They moved in there and and there was a school up the road that said, yeah, come the next day. And so they had everything. Whereas my colleagues were in refugee camps. They didn't have free housing. Well, different kind of housing, different kind of non-schooling. So we're not any better, are we? It's just grace. Everything's a gift. And seeing things, let me talk about that one. Um, The biggest gift Burundi has given to me is the gift of gratitude. And as I related to... These guys, you know, I wonder whether they're, they're complaining. Uh, I wonder they're complaining or whether they were just grateful. I, I, I don't know. They're, they're fleeing. I think when they take stock, and if, if we take stock of what's going on, then we've got a choice of attitude, haven't we? We can complain or we can be grateful. And and uh, that's just, it's literally a choice. Uh, we can focus on things we don't have or we can focus, focus on the blessings that we do have. And, and Yeah, gratitude. This guy was trying to kill me, he came to my house, had a grenade, he Was gonna, said he was going to blow me up. But he was saying he was going to cut out my eyes. And that wasn't a fun experience, but it was a good experience because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. And you probably never thank the Lord you can see because it's, it's an assumed right. But uh, that's the gift Brittany's given me. It's the gift of gratitude. Everything's a gift. If you see everything as a gift, you're going to live life differently, aren't you? And we need to hear it because our national pastime is moaning, isn't it? complaining. And let's just be grateful. Grateful for what you have got. So, and that's a foundational building block of how we're going to choose to live our life. And, um, as I think of these guys in terms of persecution, oh, I need to stop, do Okay. Come tonight. Loads more to share. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, that's some of my heart. There's, there's plenty more. So I'll save that for tonight. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I didn't mention that book. That's a book on radical discipleship, 13 films, 13 chapters of a book uh, that go together if you want to do that in life groups. Um, be in touch on email. But let me pray. Why don't you stand up with me, and let's, let's respond. Some of you might have to go and pick up your kids. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, why don't you lift your hands if you're up for that in terms of receiving a blessing, and let's press in. And I don't music guys, do you want to join? And Father God... Uh, what we've heard this morning, it's it's heavy, but it's reality. And you are the same Lord of Burundi as as of Bristol, same beautiful Jesus, same mighty God, same empowering Holy Spirit, and and you are worthy. And we're meeting together like the early church right now. And they modeled it in a very costly way. And yeah this passage is a challenge to me because maybe they'd got a bit too comfortable and they needed nudging or prodding or coaxing out of their comfort zones. Maybe that's a message for us because you, Holy Spirit, you were not sent for us to sit on you, sit on the blessing we are we're blessed to be a blessing, and so the three themes of presence power the power is for the purpose of mission. And so, Lord, I pray you'd fill us right now. Re- receive the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus in the upper room. They were fearful. They behind locked doors, the disciples, when he came. Whoo, to receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to receive everything we can get from you, so that we can pour out from a place of fullness rather than emptiness. Oh, yes, Lord. And what did what did you want me to hear this morning, Lord? can't take it all in. It's too much. But what one thing? What two things? What word of encouragement do you want me to hear? What word of challenge do you want me to hear? Thank you that you, I can trust you. I could trust you that that uh, you discipline your children out of love. And so, it might be painful to receive some of that challenge, but it's for our good. I pray that all of us would count the cost and uh, make that choice to cling to hope, to be grateful, to trust, to not be afraid, to ramp up the urgency to make our lives count. Lord, none of us want to get to the end of our lives and be sat there in a recliner with a shriveled soul and loads of stuff and think, I just missed it. I played it safe. That's not going to be us at Hope, Lord. So have your way. Amen.
0: Yeah, um, one of the promises in the... Uh for the new covenant is we have hearts of flesh and and a heart of flesh means we can receive the word God has for us and it's a liberating word so we receive that word that you have for each one of us today knowing that your word liberates us Amen For those who do have children please go and collect them but what would be great now is um, there's this invitational insight in James where it says it's not about simply hearing it's about doing it's a bit like watching a workout rather than doing the workout one you've watched and the other one you get fit and so if there is something you heard today that's a realignment it's asking God what does the action look like I love that, that moment that hope looks like something, it looks like an action, something we, we actually do in our material bodies, in our material lives. So I bless everyone here to, um, to have that action, that realignment that you have for us, that brings us into, under, under your good governance, into your place of restoration for us. And I just remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor during the Second World War in Germany. He talks about the cost of disobedience is far greater than the cost of obedience. Because when we obey, we come under the good governance of God. When we disobey, we're under the tyrannical ruling of sin, which destroys us. And so we, we as a church, we huddle, we gather together under the good governance of God. Amen. So maybe gather someone next to you and, and just say this is, this is what he's, he's saying to me, this is what he's telling me to do and it's in the obedience in what we do with our bodies that the transformation and the breakthrough comes. It's in the going when we don't know where we're going that the liberation happens. And Simon's speaking tonight at Central. Um, which used to be called Pip and Jays. It's in the center of town. And sometimes I find with these things, it's like part one, part two, and we push into something. We believe God's giving us a fresh word at hope in this season. And this is part of a fresh word he's calling us into. And so do come tonight. It's at 7 p.m. We'll be going with um, our young people from Alpha and just hearing some more sewing into this realignment that God has for us. And do speak to Simon at the back or pray with him or pray with one another. But bless you, have an amazing day and we will see you next week.